Today on the show, we talk about the story of legacies, of characters between past and present. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Bruce. And I am Caleb, once again. Once again? I, I was Caleb before. I remain Caleb. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Glad that that is a constant. Sometimes that can change. If you want to change just anything about you, you let me know. Speaking of identities and things that change and don't change, Finally, talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus on the Switch, or Pokemon Legends Arceus, if you pronounce it that way. But uh, just so that uh, all you guys listening know, this episode is going to be having some massive spoilers for the plot of two of the following three games. But to avoid spoiling this episode itself, we're not going to tell you which two of these three games they are. So it's Pokemon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum for the DS, also later remade on Switch, Pokemon Legends Arceus for the Switch, and Tetris for the original Game Boy. So we'll we'll let you guess which of those uh, three we're discussing. Now there is, like, I've just got to warn you, we are going to be talking heavily about the square piece. Shh, spoilers. (laughs) Just the legacy of the square piece. I mean, honestly, it's... It's the line piece that honestly is the most interesting <laughs> legacy. No, 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 but... it's too much, too much, too much. No, 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 no. Anyway, too much. Yeah, we're, we're too far in already. That's We're saving that for later. <laughs> so on an unrelated uh, topic change, is it just me? Or did some of the Legends Arceus characters look uh, kind of familiar to me? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like, I don't know if you had this happen where you would like, watched a uh, TV show of like a cartoon show when you were a kid and there would be some sort of like time travel episode and it would be like, oh my goodness, um, so-and-so, you're here. Like, well, who's so-and-so? I'm, uh, you know, uh, the rootinous tootinous cowboy in the West and it just looks exactly like a main character from that cartoon show's like great 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 grandparent who is just an exact literal carbon copy of them but just maybe with a mustache or a different piece of hair or clothing yeah we might have watched different cartoons growing up (laughs) (laughs) all of that to say in pokemon legends arceus um we had a lot of parallel characters we had a lot of uh characters that intentionally looked like and resembled characters that are uh, from games that are released earlier set later. And the, you know, most notable and the ones that we're going to be talking a little bit more in detail about today is that uh, Volo, Kagita, Silene, and Kamado in uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus give us an interesting perspective on how the stories about their descendants, Cynthia, Cyrus, and Rowan in Diamond and Pearl, and the two games retroactively tell a hidden story um, within that about the role that legacy plays. And um, 
the role that like ancestry plays um, within the Pokemon universe. Yeah, you can definitely see if you've played the Diamond and Pearl, Platinum, or Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl games of these original characters in the Sinnoh region have uh, with them a very particular characteristic or personality that doesn't exactly carry on to the Pokemon Arceus Legends game, where like really the only thing that they have in common with their ancestor is mostly just their physical appearance. Everything else is just wildly different. And it really is um, something that we wanted to talk about because of that underlying theme and role of legacies and understanding why they're different or how they're different in those different ways. But they still look the same. They're clearly their descendants, but uh, we are not exactly sure what happened along the way. Or, like, you know, how much knowledge there is of the past there. And we want to talk about looking at each of these individuals' characters and going one by one to see just what kind of ways that they are related in both ways. And we also want to talk about the story by looking at these characters individually. Just the fact that they're related tells a lot about both games in interesting ways and not just about the game's, you know, characters and their family trees, but the Sinnoh region in particular, why and how this region kind of led to these ancestral ties and the changes of these individuals uh, between these two games as their kind of past and present counterparts. One thing to just kind of point out when we're going into this is that we are going to be deep diving into those characters specifically. But I think an aspect of this that's worth bringing up is that like other ancestors and descendants do exist aside from even like just the specific sets we're talking about. And even some of them are just straight up from other games and regions or have comparatively minor roles. So the reason we're talking about um, these like sets specifically ancestors of Rowan, Cyrus and Cynthia is because all versions of them are, like, very clearly relevant in both stories in such, like, interestingly specific yet opposite ways. And that's the thing that's, like, notable, though, is, like, Game Freak didn't have to make the characters similar. They could have easily just made new ones similar to what they do for every other game. So what's fascinating with this is to try and look into the origins of some of these, like, families in the Sinnoh region and kind of like pick apart how these individual lineages completely ended up in another place in the modern timeline. And I think before we uh, get too deep into that, though, we are going to uh, have a quick break. So stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ah, oh, man, that definitely sounded like a, a thing that I wanted to buy. Yeah, same here. I mean, I feel like my life was never truly whole without that thing. All of that uh, useful information being notated, starting off with, I think, the 
the obvious and I think also in a lot of ways the most interesting, um, at least in my opinion, pair is Volo and Kogita and their kind of relationship with uh, Cynthia. These two are also uh, the only, as far as I know, two characters that resemble one character in the modern timeline. Everyone else has at least like just one character where you can be able to check their hair or their face where it kind of reminds you of a specific character. But these have, you know, a woman who kind of shares uh, kind of Cynthia's fashion sense um, and like a little bit of hair shape while Volo has kind of more of like her face and hair color. They both share her hobbies. (laughs) Absolutely. They're both like very interested. And again, it's part of uh, Cynthia's entire lineage of, you know, being tied to, you know, uh, the long story mythical part of the Sinnoh region and being a powerful trainer and being tied to the deities in some way. It gives us this idea of where a lot of that, you know, that legacy and that history and her interest in myths and legends comes from. So their pursuits of knowledge and history between all three of them resemble each other in direction and scope, even if less so specifically in action. So I think like one thing I do want to posit, though, and I think one thing that I think is like, I guess the question that kind of frames this is how, at least in our individual opinions, does Cynthia being a descendant of um, someone like Volo, um, someone who literally attempted to end the world in his desire to meet God, change how we read her as a character? And like, what elements of who they are do we think put them on different paths? I did want to kind of just talk a little bit about Kogita and Volo just as people. Cynthia seems like just a very calm, collected woman who's just kind of there because she knows that she is supposed to be, um, because she is a a duty-bound woman um, who wants to be able to ensure the safety of the region, while Volo is an opportunistic kind of sly individual who seems to always be going out towards an ulterior motive and you don't really see what exactly he's working towards until the end where he is like working in some sort of dark pact with uh, Giratina to be able to have more control over the Diaga and Palkia deities uh, and ultimately make it to Arceus uh, where he wants to I guess get revenge on him or harness his power? Caleb, help me out here. Kind of my more take on this is more along the lines of that it kind of adds this almost poetic justice. So Cynthia is, you know, functionally like helping right a wrong of her ancestor when she fights Cyrus. So Kogita kind of shows that even in the Hisuian era, like studying and seeking legendary Pokemon isn't necessarily itself a corrupting action, nor is it inevitably harmful or dangerous. I would kind of reject the implication that I made (laughs) that like some element of the fact that because Volo studied legendary Pokemon and Cynthia studies legendary Pokemon that like, ah, like Cynthia is heading down a dark path. I I mean, Kogita is kind of proof that that's not inevitably a dark path. To me, it is just kind of an aspect of her lineage. She is, again, we can see Cynthia has, and we talked about how amazing she is and how she's the best uh, champion ever. 
And I think it's also because, not to be like too well-to-do, but she has a pedigree of like being descended from these very powerful trainers and being a long-standing lineage of the native population of the Sinnoh or Hisuian region, where she has all of this kind of potential because of all of this. If she has um, ancestry with Volo and Kogita, it is just kind of uh, something that gives her that kind of ability to do so. She could have been with Team Galactic, and she could have tried to uh, stake a vendetta on Arceus and maybe even manipulate Cyrus into getting uh, all of uh, her stuff together so she could get the red chain, so she could be able to control time and space and all of creation. But she didn't. She worked on the side of you know, protecting the Sinnoh region, which is, again, something that I think is more on her ancestor of Kogita, who is there as a protector, who is there as a repository of knowledge and wisdom imparted from her descendants, from the people of the Hisuian region. She has such an amazing amount of potential. And the reason I think that she did this to be the champion and to be like, you know, the the mentor to the main character in Diamond and Pearl and Platinum is because she was raised by her grandmother to both respect and understand uh, Sinnoh's past, uh, understand its present and where it is now, and wanting to protect its people. And when there was a threat that arose, that was her time to want to be able to protect the Sinnoh region. I don't think Volo had that. I think that Volo, I don't know where the hell Volo like gets off trying to do all this stuff. Like unless Arceus like kicked him in the nuts in like ancient high school. I don't get why he's like really, really on this. I get Giratina, but Volo came from a very dark background to be the person that he is. Which, I mean, whatever the direction is or whatever the aspect of all of this is, there is a sidebar that I want to make sure I briefly at least acknowledge it so that we can, like, make sure that it has been addressed. Even though it falls slightly into the realm of fan theory, there are interpretations of some of the things that we see in Legends Arceus that Volo, Kagita, and possibly Cynthia rather than being ancestors and de descendants of each other, might all three be um, themselves a trio of immortals. Because just different comments that characters make throughout the game and things that are a little bit vague about like a poem written here or someone kind of like going out of their way to say something there. What is it? Their names in Latin kind of loosely translate to the domains of the lake guardians. Like small stuff like that that isn't any kind of actual confirmation, but is implied enough that it's worth mentioning that whether it's the case or not doesn't change the primary theme of legacy between them, because functionally it would suggest that the three might be closer to siblings than ancestors. So even if we did fall into that version of interpretation or something similar to it, there's still this idea that Cynthia herself is acting against the actions of someone who is who is or was connected to her in some way whether that's as an ancestor or as a like fellow immortal slash sibling it's an interesting take like i said th this isn't so much oh i believe in this take this is just me addressing that for those who believe that take this doesn't 
invalidate what our like connection between them is at least thematically all of this having been said and addressed though and everything we've mentioned up until this point being brought up another element to this worth mentioning is specifically uh giratina themselves who we get to see a kind of redemption arc of in game sets the stage as well for when they introduce themselves and intervene to stop a similar plan in Platinum. So Giratina's role in Legends or their role in Platinum when taken individually doesn't form that much of a story aside from they came in at this moment and then left at this other moment. But between the two, the revelation that Giratina was originally called to our world as an act of war against Arceus and then created distortions within that fight and was defeated by a trainer, fled, and then later intervened to prevent that same war. We see this interesting narrative arc where there's kind of a them returning to redeem themselves for something they know that they helped create. Yeah, and I also agree with that. I think it's kind of genius if that was the plan of the real main characters of this whole thing are Arceus, uh, Giratina, Diaga, and Palkia. The humanity is so short-lived. Seeing this first game and like the ending of it is like just being ants uh, next to this entire different conflict going on. We like to, again, put the fact that this is an entirety like of a deity like pantheon of Pokemon, we have so little information to truly fathom what is going on between these like god Pokemon that control time and space and dimensions and creation and the entire universe and that we only get to see like a tiny bit of that. And then we see like just another part of the puzzle piece from a hundred years before uh, the events of that first game. Uh, and now it's starting to make sense because it's, it's too large to be happening in one human lifetime. So one thing that kind of does like clarify and the way that we also know, or, or at least can assume that, you know, this is the same uh, Giratina in both games is that the game also shows us a little bit of how a legendary story will unfold within game timelines. So there is a point that Kogita mentions in passing when you catch a different unrelated legendary that they were going to temporarily follow you until you died, like presumably of natural causes, unless you like wander into one of the time-space distortions or fall off a cliff or fight an alpha and get hit with a Gyarados (laughs) hyperbeam. But I mean, whatever way you interpret that, that means that we can assume a legendary Pokemon are immortal and similarly that this is the same um, Giratina, Dialga, Palkia, Arceus seen and caught in Platinum, Diamond, and Pearl later on. This isn't, you know, descendant or ancestor of uh, Giratina, which, like, really does show us that Giratina's fight isn't just against Cyrus. It's acting against what it knows to at least partially be its own legacy, the consequences of its own previous actions. Yeah, I guess you could say, like, you know, because they are immortal, they can never truly have a legacy of another 
character. Or that maybe then you could say that Giratina is a kind of rebelling against the legacy of Arceus. But either way, this is not something that they pass on to their kin. This is something that they carry as a continuation of, you know, millennia or epochs of uh, different conflicts and events that have happened in their lifetimes. OMG, so many epochs. <laughs> on that note, we are going to take another break. So uh, see you on the other side of whatever this distortion is. Whoa, 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 whoa. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Volo and uh, Kagita were like a very big part of this discussion because of their two big roles. Like without that, none of this would have been possible. But we also have two other characters that I found were very interesting to look at um, from their past and present counterparts. Uh, and we'll first start with Celine. Celine is the member of the Team Galactic survey team uh, or department uh, in which they are uh, here pretty much doing what, uh, you know, the, the Pokemon professor administration or academia uh, would do. And they basically survey the Hisuian region, uh, which they and uh, all the other people from different regions have traveled to to see you know, what's out there, what kind of Pokemon are there, uh, what can they do, what are they capable of. And she is very reminiscent of uh, Cyrus, who is also just a very light blue-haired member of the big yellow G Galactic team and very difficult to show emotions to. Uh, however, they are could not be um, any different, uh, where Cyrus was this kind of almost cult leader using Team Galactic as a sort of gang to be able to gain every kind of aspect of uh, artifacts and uh, powerful Pokemon to be able to bend the will of uh, the lords of time and space and creation. Silene is just, she's just doing her job. She's very good at it. Uh, she just wants people to, you know, log their stuff in, clock in, clock out. She's very helpful, and she never once turns on the character, even when, again, as we're talking spoilers, as the main character is cast out, she still wants to help and has her Abra, like, assist the main character. She is a friend. She is an ally so much more uh, than Cyrus could have ever been to the main character. Truly, the, the reverse L block we all needed. <laughs> Bring it back. It's all three, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry, we lied. <laughs> and Cyrus, again, as he's blown up entire lakes, he's planned to destroy the world and remake a new one in his image. But you can't be able to, you know, say that that was always, you know, in his blood or in his DNA. Cyrus is, again, I don't know where everything was going on with that. Silene had so much 
uh, goodness in her heart uh, for that. It is definitely interesting because like also what it does is it shows a little bit of also why like Team Galactic was able to be as openly evil as they were like to the point of like straight up just having a public building in the middle of town that like no law enforcement did anything about (laughs) even though there were like known situations of them like smuggling bombs to lakes. Exactly. I I followed all of this through a thread of Team Galactic is, uh, in the modern day, as we can see here, has been around for so much longer than we thought. But back in the modern day, whatever happened uh, when they had first established themselves in the Sinnoh region, now they were a power distributor. They were um, part of the grid. This was obviously a well-established entity or organization before Cyrus took control to do this. It looked like it was not hijacked, but either uh, abruptly or gradually turned into what we saw it as in Pokemon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. Exactly, though. It gives us an idea of why that would have been difficult to call them out, because it means that people did start pointing out like, hey, like this, you know, company that helped establish our region is now doing incredibly evil things. Like, that's like a very bold claim to make against a company that's been around for a while. And ingrained in your infrastructure. Like, oh yeah, uh, First Energy is planning to uh, bomb the entire western seaboard. What are you going to do about it? They're going to shut your power off if you try and stop them. And then on top of that, it also like shows where they may have had like a degree of uh, ethos with people. If Cyrus was a direct descendant of Pokemon equivalent of like George Washington or Benjamin Franklin, you know, this like famous historical figure, of course, like, you know, can't be doing anything in wrong. How dare you insult like this family by insinuating its most recent generation is corrupt? Yeah, it, it, it's very much in the same vein of just, you know, he had to have come, like, whatever Selene had done, she had probably uh, established herself within the Galactic team. Uh, Commodore had actually left her in charge, and wherever that went, and it seemed to be very successful, but he, uh, Cyrus, had probably old, old fucking money, and came from a very privileged background, and had the legacy of his ancestors who helped establish the first foothold in the Sinnoh region. But it also makes this whole issue of Cyrus and the Team Galactic's actions in the modern timeline a complete betrayal of the Sinnoh region um, in which we see that uh, Team, um, I think it's actually Galaxy in the... Galaxy Team, Team Galactic, exactly. Exactly. And like, again, it's just a bit of a change, kept the logo, but like, it, it's a betrayal of what uh, Galaxy Team had done in trying to protect the people of the region, understand the Pokemon, and incorporate peace. The The worst thing that we saw that they did here was like just trying to defeat or defend their people from this uh, rampaging deity Pokemon. Because, I mean, what the fuck else were you going to do about it? With all of that, with kind of this like turning around and enacting the plan that generations ago you once fought against. I think one interesting bit of note is that if that was something Cynthia knew about, and given how much she was, like, in lore, a historian, like, studying, like, the legends and histories of the Sinnoh region, 
Um, Cynthia most likely knows about the events of Pokemon Legends Arceus, which would also explain how in a lot of the ad specific adaptions, um, she takes Cyrus's actions very personally and um, kind of like flies into a rage in fighting against him, which like, I mean, aside from the fact that he's attacked her hometown and her family, like this also shows that he's also in doing so betrayed what his own legacy and what his own team was supposed to stand for. Yeah, I I like that. It's I mean, that would be really gut wrenching. And especially I like obviously they probably never went to like, you know, a family reunion cookout. But knowing about that whole aspect of, again, as we talk about legacies, you are standing on the shoulders of your ancestors who help build this world and you are working directly to knock it all down to destroy what they and my families like tried so hard to create and preserve that is not just an affront on people of Sinnoh but truly an insult to uh their very existence yeah like it just becomes like such a this interesting like additional perspective on this and like characters may or may not have known and i think that that also kind of brings us though into the last person that we're going to be talking about some more today the history of um the the freaking commander yeah because like silene's superior officer the original leader of galaxy team his descendant is professor rowan it was such a weird reveal for that because i was just like him uh, you see Professor Rowan as just this kind of, you know, somewhat elderly mustachioed man in uh, Pokemon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. And he's, you know, he definitely seems no-nonsense, but he seems just like another Pokemon professor. He doesn't have any big lofty ambitions other than truly understanding both the mythical Pokemon and the regular Pokemon in the Sinnoh region. And he helps you out, and, you know, I think he's possibly one of the more involved Pokemon professors that you see out there where he's like traveling sometimes with the main characters or the other trainers that he sets out with. And I guess you can see that resolve in his counterpart, in his uh, ancestor, Kamado, who is just this, uh, again, a younger version, as we see, of uh, Rowan with like all his hair is like dark and he's just this kind of imposing figure. He's certainly got the makings of a leader and when the first time the character who is just like a 15 year old kid or 14 uh meets him he's like come at me and you're like what and he's like try to attack me and like he does not hold back and just flips you like a flapjack on sunday <laughs> right onto the ground and he's like you need to work on your fighting skills because this world is going to chew you up and spit you out it's still a part of that personality of like no nonsense being very directly, you know, head on for this one goal. And if you're not, you know, adhering to that, you need to change that because I'm here. And in probably a professor kind of outlook, that might be better. But here he was in charge of an entire exhibition team and a, uh, you know, a, a settlers thing. He, he was a John Smith even though they're applied in different ways, you just see that focus and the motivation and the 
and I guess the just drive both exist in such similar forms and move in such different directions. And what's even more interesting is just like throughout the course of Legends Arceus, he like briefly takes on a more antagonistic role and we see him shift from wanting to create the Pokedex and studying Pokemon out of a position of fear and paranoia and a desire to partly almost control them, but also like more in a sense of like avert the danger he perceives them as posing to studying them from a desire to learn and improve in general and like seeing them as something that enriches his life and the life of the people around him and in his care rather than threatening it. Yeah. And we see that probably similar to Cynthia and Cyrus, Rowan probably had access to this story. Uh, Commodore seems like a very well-established man. He would have probably had a lot of records and they could have easily been able to make that connection to Rowan's past and his speciality as a Pokemon professor, as all Pokemon professors do, was in Pokemon growth and evolution. And I think that kind of is connected to how I think Kamado kind of understands things uh, of growth and evolution. It might be pushing a little bit to like outright state or like outright suggest that the primary reason like Rowan specialized in evolution is because he saw the evolution that his ancestor took and wanted to continue studying the ways people grow and improve, whether it's like across different iterations, across like different generations, and just seeing, you know, this personal evolution and like chose to focus on studying it for that. But even if it's even if that's not an intentional thing, like that's very obviously a theme. And that's a theme that you only really see the extent of when you were looking at both games together. And that's what I love about this. In some way, you could be able to look at both of these games as one entire continuous series, but um, it, it, it puts so much more into perspective for both these types of characters from their ancestors to their descendants. And I think like to kind of address where a lot of this goes and to kind of like start um, moving toward like a little bit of a wrap up with all of this. I think there is a degree of this where a lot of what we're discussing and implying with the story kind of feels like conjecture, where it can be tempting to kind of read the ancestor descendant aspect of this purely as an internal Easter egg hunt hmm. rather than a intentional insertion of theme or an attempt to tell its own subversive story. But I think, like, even if you try and make that argument, there is no denying, first, that these contrasts and parallels are intentional. So, like, good Cyrus, evil Cynthia aren't a coincidence. Neither is this idea of um, a briefly anti-Pokemon Rowan. Like, that's not an Easter egg. That's not a reference. That is an intentional subversion. That is an intentional reversal. And the other aspect of this is you do have to remember that this isn't an alternate universe or just a different continuity in general, because the game was written with main series canon and continuity in mind. And you see that from the fact that um, Ingo exists, that this is 100% the same Ingo that is in uh, black and white. And so I think with all of that, it's just really a question of, to what degree are we willing to assume that Cynthia, Cyrus, and or Rowan would, for their own reasons or not, studied and known the history of the Hisui region 
and the role that their respective ancestors had played. And I think like that's pretty likely. And if you just make those assumptions, like all that implies all of this massive story, that's this massive expansion of the story. This larger subtext, you know, how these characters are also dealing with their internal conflict and motivations for what they're doing in the modern timeline. Exactly. So like this, this like implied story of legacy and ancestry and this idea of to what degree you do or do not become or improve from like your own ancestry, both evolving like personally or intervolving like generationally, even if it's not openly named, it absolutely exists. Like each character in here either continued or resisted the actions of the people who came before them in some form. So to me, I kind of took this in a, a different direction because I went under this under the assumption that they have possibly general knowledge of their lineage and ancestry, but they do not know of these specific ancestors like, you know, Kogita and Volo and of Silene and Kamado. But they do know that, like, I come from uh, an ancestor who has been with the galaxy team since its inception or something like that. And to me, I, I feel like this story of legacies and, you know, ancestors and descendants uh, and seeing how they're different from one another uh, shows that in some way we are both the masters of our own destiny, but we're also ultimately driven by fate and our own environment. Just because our ancestors were in one place doesn't mean that we are meant to follow those uh, same footsteps. And regardless of whether or not we were told that, I think it also comes down to the part of everything kind of around that character and that individual. I think that in many aspects, more Commodo and Silene, like they mirror the personalities of uh, Cyrus and Rowan. But they are completely different people, and I feel like that is mostly because of where they come from. Cynthia kind of has both the personalities combined of Volo and Kogita, where she has these lofty ambitions, but she also is tied to her people and her past and uh, her ancestors, whom she respects and loves. She also kind of fits that bill as well, but it, it, it's more of uh, Cyrus and Doctor uh, Professor Rowan who really uh, fit that bill the most. And I actually want to kind of circle in on Commodo specifically. We see uh, towards the end of the, at least first leg of the main story, where Commodo explains that he is doing all of this because of a very traumatic experience that he had where his village was destroyed, implying that many lives were lost because of a very powerful Pokemon who attacked the village and led to many, this, a, a loss of life, a loss of culture, a loss of peace and security. And that is why he is who he is. He is out here flipping teenagers and, you know, making these big exhibitions because he wants more than anything to have a place where his people can be free and safe. He obviously just laments and obsesses over uh, the fact that Pokemon are dangerous because he's seen that potential for that danger. 
But then I want to take you to just the complete opposite of Professor Rowan, who I would assume grew up in a very safe household, who probably had, you know, three square meals a day, a family that loved him, and he lived in an environment, probably uh, still Twin Leaf Town, uh, where he has his lab. He's obviously from the Sinnoh region. And he chose to be a Pokemon professor because he still had all of those kinds of trappings of, you know, wanting to know more about Pokemon, but it came from a place that wasn't from the same environment that Commodo came from. In all of this, uh, and we can look at it as ourselves, uh, we are, again, we can choose to be who we want to be, but we can't stop everything from not happening to us. And that shapes us as well as our own decisions do. I wouldn't say evolution, but I would say something like temporal region forms, where that's Hisuian uh, Professor Rowan and Hisuian, or, or, and uh, Sinnoh Cyrus. We know that we are looking at someone who is very much similar or has descended or is going to have their descendants turned into what we see in the modern day. But we do know that these are their own individual people. If you took Professor Rowan himself and put him in that timeline where his village is burnt down, I wouldn't be surprised to see him basically end up like Commodo. It's not just everyone is going to have the same reaction to a traumatic event. Uh, people have way completely different reactions. But we see here that Rowan is uh, is very much like his ancestor in how they would go about that. You know, that is uh, was a huge part of his upbringing and through his own motivations for doing something so lofty and ambitious like starting over and settling in this new strange land with new Pokemon that could do even more irreparable damage to himself and others around him. And he wanted to protect everyone from that. And I think that ultimately we see that he has a good heart in that. And we see that in Rowan, who works tirelessly to, you know, help these uh, children be able to stop Team Galactic from kidnapping mythical Pokemon and destroying lakes and try to preserve uh, the sanctity that is the his home. That about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. I'm just kidding. I was I've playing on my Switch, and I just saw a shiny, and I just wanted a second to catch that. That's a, that's all we were doing. <laughs> Did you get it? I'm, no. It, 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 it killed me, and then despawned. We'll be right back. <laughs> we'll be right back again. I just need to go under the table and cry. Nope, can't do that. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah, which you know, for for the record, uh, <laughs> no, I ha no, I'm not playing Switch while recording an episode this time. Yeah, yeah, neither am I. Absolutely yes. not. That would be very Absolutely, unprofessional. But yes. <laughs> um. So uh, while I'm putting while, while I'm putting my Switch away, I'll let you, 